Is fire a good thing? It can devastate forests, it can destroy houses, or it can cook food and provide heat. In short, the answer is it depends who's controlling the fire. Good debt and bad debt, it's exactly the same thing. Now, before I get on with this episode, a reminder that I have a Patreon page where you can read articles, download spreadsheets, get internet resources, watch tutorial videos, and even chat with me. So if you've got some ideas on podcasts, feel free to let me know. It's free to join, so sign up today. The link is patreon.com forward slash jellyman underscore investing. Also, a disclaimer that I'm not a financial advisor. Please consult with a professional before making any financial decisions on with the episode. Now, all over YouTube and TikTok and all these other places, I see time and time again these so-called real estate gurus talking about good debt. That's a very interesting, and there's there's a very interesting story which goes kind of hand in hand with this, which goes back to the world wars. Now, fighter planes were returning to base covered in bullet holes. Now, the engineers saw this, you know, they saw where the bullets were concentrated, and they reinforced those locations. Obviously, that's where they're getting shot. Yet, fewer and fewer planes were actually coming back to base. Why? Well, the planes they should have been analyzing weren't the ones that made it back. They were fine. They they survived. It was the ones that didn't come back. They're the ones that had some form of catastrophic failure. They're the ones that needed to be modified. Now, this is a very important analogy when it comes to listening to anybody, underline anybody regarding investing, including myself, right? Anyone you listen to, be highly suspect of everyone when it comes to investing. Real estate people in particular, they go on and on about good debt, you know, about using the bank's money to build a fortune, you know, and they'll talk about, oh, my net worth is now $5 million, $10 million, and I'm only 23. It's like, yeah, but you're leveraged to the freaking roof. Like you've borrowed 95% from the banks, right? That, that's not a good thing. It sounds good on paper. It sounds good to say, but you can't buy groceries with equity. Have you ever thought about the people where this actually didn't work out, where they borrowed heaps of money and it didn't work out. Do you think they would have YouTube channels? Do you think they'd be gloating about losing their life savings or plunging themselves into so much debt that they file for bankruptcy or having to sell their house and relocate their children? I mean, the shame of failure keeps them quiet. Now, these are the stories you need to think about. These are the ones you have to go after and find because the truth of the matter is that when using debt, it's just like fire. It depends on who's wielding it. Now, the term good debt refers to using borrowed money to buy assets, typically real estate. I mean, how easy is that? You go to the bank, you say, can I have a million dollars, you buy a house, you wait you know, a few years for the equity to build, you sell the house, and now you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit. You didn't have to do anything, if only it was that simple. And it's really not that simple at all. Anyone who tells you it's like, oh, it's so easy to go to the bank. Yeah, I've got my house now. I've got $300,000 in equity. If they make it sound like it's easy, don't believe these people. Because if you are serious about building wealth, we are not interested in just buying a single house and making a few hundred thousand. You cannot live the rest of your life on a few hundred thousand dollars. For me, when I listen to that, it does not sound like a long-term financial plan that will set you up for life. Because you still have to manage the property and you still need to live somewhere. You know, So it doesn't, for me, it just doesn't. Yet so many people think it's that simple. And because they think it's simple, that's why they mess it up. It's very easy to assess if someone has no idea what they're doing when it comes to this kind of thing. All right. So let's do an example. I met someone once who who was convinced about sinking all their money into building equity in their home by any means necessary. Now I'll just kind of define what equity is uh, if, if you're not sure. So say you have a, a house that you bought for five hundred thousand dollars. 
Okay. Um, and say it was completely cash. Okay. The house increases in value to $1 million. So it's how much it's worth, right? Um, minus how much debt you have. So basically you have no debt. So now your equity would be a million. 500,000 of which you put in and then a million of which kind of an increase in value. Now, a different example of that, if you didn't get that one, is say it's the same house, you know, $500,000. You put a $100,000 deposit in. So now you have debt of 400000 and equity of 100000 because the total value of the house is five hundred. But if the value of the house went up to six hundred, well, your equity is now two hundred thousand, right? So it's always the difference between how much it's worth minus how much debt is on the mortgage, right? On the on the property. That's that's how it works. Now going back to that story of uh, that person I met, um, they were convinced that they should just sink all their money into building equity into their home by any means necessary. So she would use her credit card, she would take out loans, she would spend as much money to increase the value of the house because she wanted to increase the equity because, you know, quote unquote, she wanted to use all this because she was like, it's good debt because it's increasing her equity. Right now, of course, her equity increased and life goes on. Now, this is the story for a lot of people where they do this and it turns out fine. And that's great. But the thing is, when it comes to these stories, there's going to be a 5% group, a 10% group where it doesn't work. Now, it doesn't just kind of end up a little bit bad. We're talking complete financial destruction. Okay. Think back to 2008. The global financial crisis decimated the entire US economy and thousands lost their home. I mean, the value disappeared. The key takeaway is that equity is not real. It's not real. It's only real once you sell the house and you take the money out. Up until that point, it's it's nothing. It's just a number on a computer screen. You can't buy groceries with equity. Equity is not usable until you sell the asset or until you make a purchase off the equity, which is typically only restricted to buying another property. You can't go, well, let me take a, um, all the money out so I can buy a car. I mean, you can do these mortgage loans, but it kind of backfires on you anyway because, well, then the debt increases anyway. So long-term, it's not even a smart decision. And without getting too deep into the mathematics, a mortgage debt is way worse than a credit card debt or a car loan or a personal loan simply because of the mathematics involved and the volume, or basically the size of the loan. A car loan could be 50 grand, 100 grand, but a house is like seven, $800,000, right? So, And then the math works a little bit differently as well. So that's stuff you got to um, think about. Think about. Now, I often see people gloating about having heaps of equity, but here's one thing. Say you had a lot of equity, but then you lost your job. And some of these people would run out of money within two months. So this is kind of one of the terms that they talk about where you know you have a lot of equity and you are rich on paper, but you can't even survive two months without a job. So they're forced into these kind of high-pressure situations of having to secure another job before the late notices start arriving from the banks. You think the banks have any sympathy for you? No, they just want their money, right? Now, this is not a sound financial plan. Uh, you know, am I saying real estate or leverage is bad? 100% no. Fire cooks food too. It doesn't just burn down forests. So there's this famous saying 
which says equity rich cash poor. And it refers to people who have lots of assets, but they live on scraps. Like they, they just got no cash flow, right? Now using debt or leverage as it's often referred to, it is a risk. And the more you borrow, the more interest that is generated and the more you have to cover should things not work out. And people say, well, I've got tenants, you know, they can pay for it. It's not that simple. It is not that simple. Tenants can be an extreme headache and there is additional like hidden costs that you don't know about when it comes to these things. Again, am I saying don't get tenants or don't get real estate? That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is put more thought besides I'm going to buy this house because I can see myself living in it. That is not research. When you look at a house for an investment, you have to look at a number of things. It's the same thing as say you're researching to go on holiday. You want to plan your route. You want to know which places you're staying at. You know, you want to know what the ratings are. You know, you got to do this due diligence of that property from an investment perspective, not from a, I can see myself living here, which means you have to look at it from how much is the house actually worth? Am I getting a good deal on it? How much money do I have to put into this? What kind of people am I going to be attracting? Am I going to see a lot of property damage? Um, what are the kind of tax implications on this on my entire portfolio? These are the things you got to start look uh, like learning about long term. If we're looking at this from, hey, I want to be wealthy and successful. I don't just want to be another person with just an investment property because most of the time it just doesn't work out for these people. Um, from what I met, in fact, what you should probably do is just buy a property index fund such as Vanguard um, Australian Property. If you're from Australia, I don't know what the equivalent one is in the US. I'm sure that there are property index funds all around. And those property ones are tied to the property um, industry. So if the whole market goes up, great. Um, if it goes down, it goes down. But it's an index fund, so it's always going to go up, right? That's that's kind of how it works. Um, so the key question is, should the absolute worst outcome occur, will you survive? So that's one of the things you have to think about when you pick these properties, is that you pl- you're doing a risk assessment of, if it goes bad, am I going to be okay? If I am and I've got a plan for it and the re- and the reward is worth the risk, let's go ahead, right? Plus all the other stuff. Now, the way I prefer to do this is if you want to use leverage to do it as conservatively as possible in small steps, that means ensuring that you know, you're not over-borrowing, right? Such that a few percentage increases in interest rate won't completely kick you out of the game. So I can't remember which book it is. But when it comes to investing, one of the key goals is just to survive. Because what tends to happen is, say there's market devastation, okay? The ones that survive, right? So I'm going to pick a company as an example. Say I'm a company that does laundry, or I'm a laundry company. There's going to be heaps of other laundry companies around. Um, But I'm a very conservative business owner. So I've put a lot of money aside on case of a bad day. Now, say there are 49 other laundry companies, and then some sort of economic crisis happens like COVID or whatever, 30 of those laundry companies shut down. So then what happens is the number of customers that still need to do laundry is the same, but the amount of suppliers is less. So because there's more customers, there's going to be more customers for me, more profit for me, and kind of this survivor mentality of making it through that devastation puts me in a good position to be successful after. So when it comes to investing, you always want to think about, well, 
if the worst should happen, will I survive? You know, will I be strong enough to play to fight another day? Okay. And if you can do that, you can be very conservative. Number one, you can sleep at night. And also, like, you really don't have to take so much risk. Like, you don't have to be a super duper billionaire. You know what I mean? Take your time. People are in, 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 as Peter Lynch says, in an unbelievable rush. You know, take your time, run the numbers, speak to experts, speak to friends and colleagues, speak to whoever you can about their experiences. Take what you can from it. And then don't make the same mistakes they did. Take your time. That's my best advice.